uh, and we are joined by City Council Member Carlos Menchaca of Brooklyn. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Jared, for having me. So um, start us off just for folks who may be less familiar. Who are you? What's the part of the city that you represent? Just give us a quick uh, overview of, of, of yourself. Yeah, so when I, when I started this uh, New York City, I represent an incredible community, District 38 in southwest Brooklyn. This is Red Hook, Sunset Park, a little bit of Borough Park, and some Bay Ridge, uh, and some Windsor Terrace as well. And you are in your second term. Second term. and Second and final. Second and final term. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. that council uh, <laughs> only has two terms. That, that's for another show. And you've been chairing, yeah, well, well, or, or maybe the end of this one. We'll <laughs> okay, see what maybe. kind of time we have. But um, And you've been chairing the council's immigration committee. Yes. And so what are some of the topics that, that you've uh, tried to take on during your tenure? And we'll dig into some of them specifically, but what's sort of the breadth of, of things look like? I think one of the really important things to talk about here as we think about the Immigration Committee itself and the work that the Immigration Committee has allowed us to do as a city is that's the only legislative body in the state of New York that offers a focus on immigration. The state doesn't have one in the Assembly or in the Senate. So this is where we can really dig deep into some of the bigger issues, everything from public charge to TPS to IDNYC and creating cards for all New Yorkers to get municipal identification. Uh, ethnic press. These are all discussions that we've been having through this immigration committee. Um, but not just that. I get to bring the stories of my district where we, uh, in our in District 38, over 50% are foreign-born. Uh, these are Asian and Latino communities uh, with a very rich heritage uh, of um, of. of uh, heritage of the community, but also thinking about how this becomes a microcosm, not just for the city, but for the entire country. So the term sanctuary city is one that obviously the city's critics often bring up, and but the, the mayor and, and others have embraced it as part of the city's identity. And I wonder, when you think about how immigration policy works, whether that is advertising a degree of protection that the city can maybe not actually deliver. Do you feel as though we have created a sanctuary here? Is it actually a safe place for for people with undocumented status? I think one of the things that's important to define with sanctuary city is that a sanctuary city is essentially a municipality that is limiting cooperation with federal enforcement. And that means that we are honoring the 10th Amendment that allows the state and the city to do what they need to do on local law enforcement and allow the federal government to enforce their laws. We don't get to change federal laws and therefore we don't get to enforce them. But we have a lot of local laws. And part of what we are trying to do is build relationship between all community members and our local law enforcement so that we can have safer communities. And what you see nationally are is that sanctuary cities those that limit cooperation are actually safer because people talk to police officers. They can report crimes. They can connect to government. They have relationships with city agencies. And that's what we are really blessed with here in the city of New York. But you would not make the argument, of course, that uh, undocumented people are safe in New York City from deportation. This entire country has been um, hit with grotesque uh, Uh, policy changes and a real affirmation to a white nationalist government coming from our 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 federal government the president and on down um no one no one feels safe there is definitely a sense of fear that we're all we're all feeling uh and that doesn't mean that new york doesn't feel that 
what I think what I want to say is that there are many protections that we've put in place. Uh, this city was the first city to create a public defender system called Knife Up, the New York Immigrant Family Unity Project, that essentially gives uh, city-funded lawyers to help anyone that's in a deportation proceeding that can't afford it. We've been able to... to uh, um, stop the separation of families uh, in our communities. And these are community members who are breadwinners. They're, they, they have businesses. They're working. Uh, these are our neighbors, and that's what we've dedicated. That model is now uh, being replicated across the country. So this is, what, this is what New York City has been doing. And really at the forefront of this are advocates on the ground who are connected to empowered co- immigrant communities from all over the world. Um, represented from all over the world, and and we're designing this this kind of sanctuary city as we understand it here in the city. The, correct me if I'm wrong. I think yourself included, but there's a lot of people who have taken issue with how President Obama uh, dealt with deportation. Absolutely, yeah. uh, his name yeah. is is right. When he has many names, but one of them is Deporter in Chief, and he really focused a kind of enforcement that was. Uh, not very different from Trump, um, but focused on communities that had criminal charges. Now Trump has kind of extended it to really anyone uh, by really labeling anyone who crosses the border uh, without documents as criminal. And that's why everyone, everyone we know in our neighborhoods is is uh, susceptible to this deportation machine. And I think to that to that point, it was early in uh, your time in the council and Bill de Blasio's time in City Hall that the city moved to uh, kind of break the link between Rikers Island and and ICE, and that was obviously during the latter days of Obama's presidency. Tell us about that effort. Has that been successful to remove ICE's presence from presence from the island? Well, it was a law. We passed it, and we removed ICE from Rikers. And I think what 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 was connected to that was also detainers, and that's what really fortified our our relationship um, or decreased relationship with ICE. Uh, and and that's just, the, again, the beginning of how we are trying to protect as much as we can uh, our immigrant communities. You know, we have 40 percent of New York, 40 percent of New Yorkers are foreign born. And that's at the highest level uh, of, of the city's history. Uh, and most of them are actually not undocumented. These are naturalized uh, immigrants or green card holders that are on a pathway uh, to citizenship. And this is why public charge was so important for us. And we organized. We went to every borough. Uh, I went as chair. Uh, Moya did there, the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs, organizations, really trying to galvanize this idea that not just immigrants, but allies needed to say no to the public charge changes. And Trump wants to, you know, for all those folks that are on a legal path to citizenship, essentially increase the list of uh, um, uh, city services, public services um, that would make it in, uh, make you ineligible for citizenship, and two hundred thousand nationwide actually uh, came out and said no to this. Say a little bit more about what you notice on the ground, if anything, in terms of shifts of behavior. Uh, as people are, are are people acting on fear in a certain way or certain ways that you've been able to discern? Do you have a sense? I don't know whether it's it's people coming to your office, you know, your district office for things or people calling the city council's immigration committee or, you know, whatever it might be, school attendance, you know, variety of measures perhaps that might show it. Or is it is it more just a conversation that's happening? But because it's New York City, there's less of a discernible impact on people's behavior. I think that that 
and this is I'm, I'm going to give you different touch points that I get to have the privilege really uh, as a chair of the immigration committee uh, have and I get to talk to people in different spaces and the one thing I want to say is public charge was one of those moments where we actually saw a decrease and the city reported this in our public hearing that they saw they started seeing a decrease in public services that were not even included in the list that came out of the federal government uh, these are these are city funded um, uh, nutrition programs like snap and chip and so you see you see that people are responding to that decrease in enrollment, a decrease in enrollment. Mm-hmm. And people are are not re-enrolling. And so our job is to get them back re-enrolled because the law hasn't changed. And until that happens, people need to get connected to health, nutrition, and housing. But where you see really beautiful things happening in spite of Trump are things that are happening in our communities in Sunset Park around participatory budgeting, for example. Most of the people who vote, and we, we get a robust number of folks. Uh, last year, we had over 11,000 people vote. More people voted in PB in my district than voted in our Democratic primary. Uh, you can look that up. <laughs> and and that's just the, the sense of, of kind of response to community engagement and civic participation, participatory democracy. And most of those votes that were cast were cast in paper ballots, uh, non-English, Chinese and Spanish and Arabic and that's that's the kind of thing that gives me hope and that we're doing a not just the right thing we're doing a good thing for what i think american democracy is looking like in the future you're listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI 99.5 FM. We're on with Carlos Menchaca, council member. If you have a question or a comment about immigration policy on the city level and how it interacts with state and federal policies, 212-209-2877 is the number. Council member, speaking of state policy, there are a couple of areas where there's been advocacy this year for changes, driver's licenses and the presence of ICE in courthouses. Talk about where those issues stand. Well, uh, we, a few hours, just voted on a resolution on the city council floor, unanimous support to um, to kind of give the voice of New York City to support uh, the Protect Our Courts Act in the state. Both the Assembly and the Senate have proposed a bill, and we are hoping that um, this is in addition to the OCA, the, of, um, the Office of Court Administration, who basically promulgated rules to force any ICE agent to present a judicial warrant if they are going to be engaging in some kind of an arrest. But we want to go further, and that's where this state bill um, is going to actually expand that to not just the courthouse itself, but the parking lot and the areas around the court. And I'll actually give something called a private right of action that will allow for lawyers to sue on the behalf of anyone who's detained in courts uh, so that they can get further protections. And this is where due process is also uh, an important component to all of this. And this is this is something that we can do. This is the first time that this has happened in the state, of, uh, in any state. Uh, and so we're really applauding that. And you got an, a unanimous vote on that at the city council? Yes. Well, yes. With some people absent or? With some people maybe outside of the, uh, we have a couple of Republicans <laughs> okay. that leave a little early. Well, that's why I uh, But it was unanimous. Okay. Yeah. Well, and we can go back to, okay. um, I don't know if he, he left before uh, casting his negative vote on the resolution, but um, it. This is so. This is always. This kind of effort is always going to pass. Either way, there's only a few Republicans in the council, council, a few conservative Democrats. So either way, I was just struck by you saying it was unanimous. Um, go ahead, driver's license. Driver's licenses. So this is something that I, I, I'm deeply connected to. Uh, driver's licenses is one of those things that this 
state has been fighting for, uh, for not just downstate here in the city of New York, but upstate where farmers are driving every day and, and really at risk of, of interacting with the criminal justice system. Um, that and we can make money. Uh, there's a there's some really great studies that show um, that we can actually bring more more tax revenue. Uh, the insurance companies uh, are also saying this is going to be safer for our our kind of drivers in general. Um, but this removes a kind of fear that people are, are are feeling every single day by getting into that car and are really forced because of their job to to drive around. Um, this is why I, I uh, announced my support for Cynthia Nixon for governor, uh, because she understood this issue in a very real way and would have made it happen. This is how much I'm putting my political capital into this. And I think that we're going to see some changes this session in the state. So you feel good about driver's I, I licenses feel good. for I feel all good. You're, you're, you're seeing so many, uh, so many pieces coming together, just like marriage equality, where you have the business community, you have elected officials coming on board, uh, you have the immigrant community coming out, but you have a real strong sense of allies out there, and I feel confident. What's, is there an argument you've heard, whether it's from Mayor de Blasio on some of the legal defense funding, where he's wanted you know, certain people? you know, not to be funding lawyers for those who've been convicted of certain crimes to facing deportation. Is there an argument you've heard from Mayor de Blasio, Republicans in the state legislature, uh, Republicans in the city council, uh, conservative Democrats? Is there an argument about any of these moves that you've either made or sought to make that's made you rethink any of this? Are there Have there been concerns that have been raised? Um, you know, the mayor's got his this list of offenses that he had that he and former city council speaker Melissa Mark Vivrito had a little bit of a tussle over. Um, you know, any of those types of things, you know, anybody who's a policymaker, we often ask these questions. Have your opponents made you, you know, sort of rethink any of these any of these policies? The way that I think about this question is really in connection to the immigrant community itself. I think they are my pulse. I go back to them and they really help me think through some of this stuff. And it's not like the, the immigration and world and the policy makers are all on the same page either. There's a lot of questions around privacy uh, and really kind of balancing the act of privacy versus access to service. And so even like the driver's license, for example, uh, people are worried about lists and getting on lists and the government coming and taking those lists. And that's that been something the that city ID. Yeah. New York, the, our, our IDNYC was susceptible to that. And so when you, when you have to balance that, I always want to go back to the communities that are being served and allow them to tell me how to think about this policy issue. Uh, and that's part of participatory democracy. I want them to feel like they're in the driver's seat uh, when we design these policies. And so it's them that uh, change my mind, make me think about new things, and then offer an opportunity for their voice to be heard on the floor of the city council. So census 2020 is bearing down on us, and obviously there's been a lot of concern about how that's going to affect everyone in the city, and particularly uh, given the politics of the moment, how it will affect uh, immigrants and, and undocumented people. Where do you think we are on that now? Are you, how are you feeling on a scale of wildly optimistic to totally despondent about how the census is going to go? It is a big question mark whether or not New York City is going to get this right, and it's not because of the city council being incredibly focused. We have a task force run by uh, myself and Carlina Rivera, uh, and we, get a, we have a lot of support from the speaker to really think about how we how we get this right. Um, but I think the first thing you're seeing are from the two you know leaders of the state, the governor and the mayor, uh, you've seen a, a, a real um, lackluster 
lackluster response with funding and resources and really thinking about how how we get funding into our organizations that are the ones that are are best equipped all the studies show that local uh, nonprofit organizations that have relationships intimate relationships that are in these homes uh, that are all already connected should be getting the resources. And what we're, we're expecting them to do right now without the funding is for them to do this on the side, to do this as a, as a, as a gesture of goodwill. And that's not how good campaigns are run. We need funding. So we're in the middle of budget negotiations. We want 40 million, 20 million to go to the city organizations, uh, nonprofit organizations into the coalition. And we're going to be fighting for that. And there was twenty million, I believe, in the state budget, which yes. again was was half still a of lot what of questions about for. how they're going to be spending okay. that money. Mm-hmm. Whether this is going to be RFP, RFPs take forever. We're trying to figure out how they can expedite that, but there's a lot of questions. And actually, I submitted a letter asking for Julie Menon to to come and talk about that and really she's understand. The mayor's census she's the, czar. She's yeah. the census director, right. and so we're we're really hoping that she can come to, before the city council and offer more light. So just to pull back and ask a question about the politics of this issue in the city, you know, New York City is the city of immigrants. It's part of our symbolism. It's part of our kind of defining sort of identity. And yet you still see some real pockets and episodes of antipathy toward immigrants. Um, you know, the bodega in my hyper diverse neighborhood in the Bronx, someone put a Trump sticker there. We had a welcome refugee sign in our house and someone attached a nasty note to our door. If here... In this city where you see the evidence of immigration's benefit, if that attitude persists, um, is that a problem that we need to address sort of separate from the policy issues? Is there a way to attack that or to converse with that and try to convert people? Or do we just accept that that's part of the picture and kind of move on? I think that's not the uh, the focus area. I think the focus area is to really think about policy that brings human dignity to people that are a significant portion of the population here. And you're going to have, you're going to always have varying uh, ideas when you think, when you think about immigrants, you have the newly arrived immigrants who are saying, you know, I went through the process. Why can't they go through the process? Then you have to break it down and do some education about how this system is broken and we need immigration reform. Um, so there's always going to be pockets that are, are kind of coming from their self-interest. And what we as policymakers need to do is step back and say, how do we create a humane system? This is why I support abolish ICE to remove that rogue agency that was really created out of fear from the Patriot Act that has really given this federal government a lot of leeway to push these white nationalist policies uh, into our cities. And and so this is why we need to step back, bring humanity back into the policies, and really ensure that immigrants are at the table when they're designing policies for themselves. If they're 40% of this population in New York City, they should have 40% of say in how we think about it. And then we make decisions. And this is where the city council uh, is a very diverse city council. And this is why it's progressive, because it really represents pockets of the city. So let's zoom out even further in our last two minutes here. Um, you've been in the city council now. You're in the midst of your second term, not quite halfway through, but getting there. Any big lessons you've learned as an elected official? There's been some, you know, as many experienced, some choppy waters in terms of sort of internal political dynamics in the Brooklyn delegation, the city council, interactions with the mayor where you had, you know, some council members sticking up for you, you know, others maybe not so much. Any any sort of big takeaways, lessons learned at this point in your tenure? For me, the... The learning lesson, the the learned lesson, and maybe I'm continuing to learn this lesson, is when you can root yourself in a community, 
um, that not only has need, but understands its own power. Uh, really, there's nothing in front of you that is a true hurdle. Uh, some of the battles with the mayor uh, actually ended up creating better policy, better relationships with EDC, for example. Um, you have even some stuff with, with council members and thinking about how we shift um, our, 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 our relationship by bringing the stories of our communities to the forefront. Uh, so this is not necessarily about me. This is about the communities that we represent, because ultimately that's who we are. We're representatives of neighborhoods who are asking for a, a a seat at the table. There's some stuff happening with Industry City and the land use where I said, no, we're not going to start until we're ready because this is a city action. Those are things that are difficult to do. And I think everyone's kind of looking when I make these decisions and, and really all they have to do is look behind me are members of our neighborhood who are asking for just a new way, a better way uh, with them at the table. Well, Councilmember Carlos Menchaca from the uh, City Council Committee on Immigration, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for being here. And so we are wrapping up our time here this week on Max and Murphy here on WBAI. We want you to tune in in the coming weeks, although there is some WBAI programming coming up that's going to keep us off the air at least, I believe, next week. We've had a, a couple preemption uh, episodes lately as WBAI continues to work with you, uh, our listeners, and across the WBAI network. Folks, we need your support here at the station, so please be a WBI buddy, give generously, help WBI not only build out a new studio, but just stay on the airwaves as always. And you can help out by going online to give to WBAI.org. That's the number two, give to WBI.org. And click on uh, the buttons that are presented there. There's one called More Than Mics, which is a uh, nice alliteration. Or by calling 516-620-3602 and asking to make a donation. Uh, You help to keep this and other great programming on the air, and we appreciate that support very much. Uh, Councilmember, thanks for joining us. Ben, thanks as always. Thank you. Uh, Join us next next Wednesday or in some future Wednesday at 5 on WBAI. Until then, have a great week in the greatest city in the world.